Welcome to the Fox River Podcast. We are a church with a heart for people and the message of Jesus. It is our desire that you'll be drawn closer to God through today's teaching. To access notes from today's message, go to foxriverchristian.org slash message. Thanks for listening. Hey, Fox River, how you doing? Good, good, man. It's good to be here. That was a quick turnaround, all right? So, hey, anyone think the Christian life is easy? Anybody think it's kind of rhetorical, but, but man, okay, sometimes yes, sometimes no, maybe, all right? So, hey, the truth is Jesus saves our life, but, but he also takes our life and he turns it what feels like upside down, right? But it's actually right side up. I remember, right, fresh out of college, I landed a sales job, all right? And, and this, this sales job was um, with a sports-related company. And basically what I did is I, I sold packages to companies or corporations, sports packages, so they could entertain, like, their clients at different sport, sporting events. Now, it was really nice, right? Great thing about the job was I got to help companies um, with their customers and also got to make some money, all right? So that was really, really nice. Um, but the, the, the not-so-good part of it was I was trained and I was expected to lie, all right? Now, lying was something that I was really good at. I've been doing it my whole life, all right? About 20 years at that point, not a problem. But ever since I became a Christian, which was just a short time before this, um, man, the Holy Spirit just, he wouldn't allow me to have comfort when I lied. He wouldn't ha- allow me to, to have comfort or peace inside when I was thinking about lying. Okay, it was really, really tough. So I remember sitting there at my desk, staring at the phone, day one, and uh, I just couldn't pick that phone up. I just couldn't. I would reach for it. I'm like, ah. Sometimes I, I, t- I touch it. I'm like, ah, I just can't. I can't make the call. I can't do it because God's spirit was calling me to be honest. Now, I know not all sales jobs are like that, so please don't mishear me. But this job, man, that was a, that was a big, big problem for me. I just couldn't bring myself to lie. So I went into the stairwell. I still remember what the stairwell looked like. I remember the building I was in. I remember where the desk was, all of that, right? You just vivid memory. So I go in there, and I remember calling Nicole. We were, we were just married at, the, uh, at that point, and, and I remember calling her and just... And I remember almost crying. I just felt like such a loser. Like, here, I finally got a job, and now I can't even do the job. And I said, honey, I think, I think I might have to quit. And that's exactly what I did. It turns out, right, if any of us had any doubts, it turns out the Christian life is not easy at all sometimes. All right? And the simple fact is this. Christ cost me my job. I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying facts are facts. When we choose to follow Jesus, it can be very difficult. You might lose your friends. You might lose your family, all right, especially in certain parts of the world. You're excommunicated or alienated from your family, all right? It's like you never existed. You might, you might lose your, your fame or your popularity. You might lose your fortune or your job like I did in that case, probably lose your Twitter account too. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. All right. But, but while we can take great comfort in what Jesus says in Matthew 19, he says, hey, anything that you've lost for my sake, anything that you've lost because of the gospel, listen, you will gain it back a hundred times over, like a hundredfold you'll get back and you'll get eternal life. 
We should and we can take great comfort in that. Hallelujah. But that doesn't take away from this very relevant question. And I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to become more and more and more relevant in the years to come. What do I do in the moment when Christianity is hard? How can we as the church, us as individual church members, how can we be unstoppable even in the face of great difficulty as a Christ believer and follower? That's exactly what we're going to talk about today. It's exactly what we're going to see in God's word. It's exactly what we're going to consider in our own lives so that this isn't just a few minutes we spent together on a weekend, right? But, but, but by God's grace, he'll actually make some changes and we can walk out our faith, okay? So before we get into any of the good stuff, let's pray together, all right? Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for the grace that you give. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, three days later rose from the grave for our life. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells every single one of your children who believe and who have received Jesus Christ as Savior. Thank you for your word, Lord. If you didn't give us your word, if you didn't reveal that to us, Lord, if you didn't tell us who you were, what you were like, we wouldn't know you in the ways that we do. Thank you for that. Help us to hear from you today, Lord God. Help us to understand what you're trying to tell us, Lord. And God, not only that we would hear, not only that we would understand, but Lord, help us to believe. Help us to respond in faith and to walk with you. Bless these precious few minutes we have together today, Lord God. That you would be glorified in it all and above it all. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Chapter five. Turn there on your device if you got it. Turn there on your Bible if you got it. As we get into Acts chapter 5, as you turn there, um, it's important that we appreciate, hey, what in the world is going on in Acts chapter 5, okay? So Acts chapter 5 takes place pretty early on in the church, okay? This is in year number one for sure. All right. This is probably like within the first month or two, if you pressed me on it, I would say it's really early like that. Okay. Meaning this, Jesus was crucified and he was risen just a short time before this. All right. And then before, right, Jesus died, he was risen. And then before he went up to heaven where he is now on the right, at the right hand of the Father, before he went up, he said some really important words to his Uh, followers. Here's what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the second part of the verse. He he tells them, he he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, just a little bit further out, and then after that, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus calls them to be witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. Ready? Witnesses. Okay, good, good, good. Calls them to be witnesses. And, and how does that play out for the apostles? All right? They're doing signs. They're doing wonders to the awe and amazement of everyone. And the unstoppable church is experiencing unstoppable growth. It's just growing. 
It's just growing like crazy. Everybody's joining the church. Not everybody, that was an exaggeration, but, but by the thousands, okay, this is no small thing. But at the very same time, and we cannot miss this because this is what we're going to be talking about here. At the very same time, persecution has begun. All right, We're going to be hanging out in Acts 5, but Acts chapter 4 is where it starts, the persecution. Acts chapter 5, it gets amped up. It levels up a bit. You want to go one more chapter? It gets even worse. We're not talking about that today. But this is escalating. And the persecution, listen, it started then and it's never stopped. And it will continue to happen until Christ comes back, perhaps one day very soon. All right? But here in Acts 5, living the Christian life was getting really, really difficult. So, all right, that's enough background, that's enough context. Let's get into the verses. Acts chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to go all the way through verse 26. All right, so the church is growing. Here we go, verse 17. Then the high priest, all right, and all his associates, these, these are people being described here, these are people who don't believe in Jesus, okay? They're the Jewish people who have not accepted Jesus as Messiah, all right? So the high priest and all his associates, um, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy, right? Because the church is growing. People are leaving, you know, what, what they're in charge of. They're leaving and they're joining the church, right? So you're getting jealous. Verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And the angel said this, go stand in the temple courts. I'm letting you out of jail. Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life, all right? By new life meaning this, tell them about the gospel. Tell them that Jesus is God. Jesus is son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. You were looking for the Messiah for like, for like you know, thousands of years and he finally showed up. Tell people who Jesus is. Tell him that, yes, he died, but he also rose from the grave. He's alive and he's at the right hand of the Father right now. Tell him that they can have life simply by believing. I mean, tell him this good news all about the new life. Verse 21, at daybreak they entered the temple courts, just like the angel told them. And as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. Now, when the high priest and his associates arrived that next morning, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, all right? These are the religious authorities in Jerusalem, all right? And they sent to the jail for the apostles. Like, okay, we're ready to have trial. Go get the apostles that are in jail. Bring them here. We're going to have this trial. We're going to find them guilty, and we're going we're to mess with them, okay? But, but, hey, first things first, go get them. Bring them here, verse 22. But on arriving at the jail, the officers, they did not find them there. So they went back and they reported, hey, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, just like they were supposed to. But when we opened the doors, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests, man, they were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Like, oh, no, what are we going to do now? Verse 25, then someone came and said, look. The men you put in jail, they're standing in the temple courts and they're teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and they brought the apostles. Now, they did not use force, though, because they feared that the people would stone them. 
Because the people, right, they're, they're preaching, all, they're telling everybody about the life, the gospel, they're telling all the people, right, standing in the temple, telling all the people, and everybody loves this message. They're like, Jesus was the son of God? We're responsible, partly responsible for killing him? Like, like but, but we can be forgiven of our sins just by believing? I mean, they're like, this is, this is amazing. He's the Messiah. He's going to come back. He's going to rule and reign over the earth forever. And I can be a part of it. This is great. So, so all the people, they love the apostles. So when the apostles get arrested, they didn't get arrested by force. Like they weren't handcuffed. They weren't roughed up. Nothing like that. Because, man, what if the people who love the apostles and their message, what if, what if they would have got rowdy, you know? They would have stoned the arresters, right? So that, that, that's what's going on right there. Now, the apostles, they were arrested and they were jailed. Why? All right, there's a lot of things we could say, but, but here's a great simple answer. Because they said yes to Jesus. In fact, they couldn't bring themselves to say no. <laughs> All right? Listen, they had seen the crucified and risen Savior. And they remained devoted to him. They remained devoted to each other. All right? They stayed connected to other believers. Their hearts were set. Their eyes were fixed. Not on themselves. Not on their hardships. But on Jesus. Now, did they want to be arrested? No. Did they enjoy going to jail? No, of course not. But they had received a calling, a calling to be witnesses, right? They'd received that calling, and they were continuing in it. In fact, continuing in that calling to be witnesses for Christ, no matter where they are, no matter what the situation is, right? Continuing that calling brought them joy. And the joy that it brought them was greater than any pain that came from persecution. You see, when you abide, when you remain connected to Christ, his Holy Spirit does some amazing things in your life. He changes you. He makes you more like Jesus from the inside out. If you spend time with God in prayer, for example, here's what you might find. His Holy Spirit produces a peace in your heart that you never had before. Okay, here's another example. If you spend time with God at church or with other believers, here's what the Holy Spirit will often do. He will help you to love like Jesus. Huh, just by sticking close. If you spend time with God in his word, he has been known to do the following in your heart and in your life. You become more gentle. You become more uh, kind. And you become uh, someone who has more and more self-control. Right? A lot of us, myself included, I'm like, how can I be more self-controlled? Not only when it comes to temptation, but also when it comes to just everyday life. How can I have more self-control? Now, Sometimes we run to the local bookstore, all right, or we go to, uh, you know, audible.com or something, and we, we get a self-help book, or we try and get the best advice, or we come up with a good plan, and I'm not knocking any of those necessarily, but the primary way that we can have self-control, and God provides us this avenue, is by remaining connected to Christ. Even in times when living out your faith 
can be extremely challenging, like what we're seeing in Acts 5, he will provide you joy. He'll give you joy even during suffering. So this trial takes place. The verdict came down. And guess what it was? Guilty. Guilty of disobedience because they were told, the apostles were told, hey, stop talking about Jesus. And they wouldn't stop. All right, they were also, they, when they were told to, say, to stop talking about Jesus, they said, you know what? We're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to God because he says to talk about Jesus. He says, hey, tell the people about this new life. We're going to listen to him. So that verdict came down, guilty. And the Sanhedrin, right, the ruling Jewish authorities, they were going to teach these apostles a lesson. So what we read in, in verse 40, the second part of it, is that they called the apostles in. Right, after they, they figured out what are we going to do, they called the apostles in and they had them flogged. What does it mean to be flogged? All right, this is not a Roman scourging, which Jesus was was. Jesus was scourged by the Romans. This is, this is different. This is a Jewish flogging. So what is that? To make sure we get a crystal clear picture of that, um, I'm going to describe to you what Jewish flogging is directly from the oral Torah. All right, the Jewish oral law. Specifically, what I'm about to summarize for you, I'm not going to read it word for word, but I'll summarize for you. This is from the Makot, section 23 B, which is all about flogging. Okay, here we go. The person being flogged, their hands are tied around a post, some kind of post system, maybe two posts, maybe one post, but they're tied so that they can't, they can't get away, they can't squirm away. Their garments, their upper garments, like shirt and stuff, they're forcibly removed. If they rip, they rip. Who cares, right? But they're forcibly removed to expose their chest, their torso, and their full back. And they are made to kneel or hunch over, as described in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 2. All right? So that's the person being flogged. The person who's doing the flogging, all right, they stand behind the person on some kind of stone. All right? So they're elevated just a tiny bit. And, and what they do is they, they're holding a, a two to three foot long uh, layered leather. It's made out of ox hide and donkey hide. All right, layered leather, it's about a hand's breadth in width. And, and like I said, two to three foot long because what, what you want to make sure, according to the Mishnah, according to this, is when you flog them from behind, you want to make sure it's long enough to reach around the front to their belly button. All right, so, so ouch, right? And the person who's flogging, they're supposed to do so with all of their might. Like don't hold anything back. And you come down and, and you do that 39 times because the belief was 40 times will kill someone. Well, you don't want to kill them. You just want to make them suffer really bad. So you back off of that 40 number just by one. So 39 times they get flogged or lashed. Of those 39 times, you math nerds like me, you'll realize 39 is divisible by 3. So they, they break 39 up into three equal sections of 13 lashes each. One of those sections of 13 lashes are done on the chest. Then the person is turned over. And on the back, they lash them 13 times on one section of the back. 
and 13 times on a different section of their back. And all the while this is happening, right? You got the person who's being flogged, you got the, the flogger, and all the while that's happening, you have someone else over here, and they are reciting scripture over that person as an indictment, as an affirmation of their judgment. This was humiliating. This was obviously unbearably painful. And it was designed so that the person would carry not only the scars, but also the stigma of what was happening. They would carry that around for years and years to come. It's important to realize something. All the while this is going on, the apostles, they were doing the right thing. The apostles, man, I mean, their heart was for people. Their message, you know what their message was all about? It's all about Jesus. They were doing the right thing, yet they were being treated like criminals. Actually, let's, let's make that a little more accurate. They're being treated like Jesus. When you say yes to God and when you follow him, there will be, this is not an if type of thing, there will be times of suffering in your life. In this world, Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. In John 15 he says, if the world hates you, remember, the world hated me first. So we're following, as Christians, we're following the one, Christ, who is hated first. And God also says this through Paul in one of his letters to Timothy. He says, everyone who follows me will experience persecution. Listen, coming to Christ, right, receiving eternal life, that's free. But there is a cost to continuing in your calling. He's called the apostles, but also everyone who believes. He's called us to be his witnesses. There's a cost to continuing in that calling. Now, you want to quit? You want to sit on the sidelines? I've done that before. I know what it's like. In some ways, it's really nice because you got to get, get the heat off of you, right? But in other ways, you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you. Like, man, you've been, you have a calling on your life to be a witness for him. Get back in the game, right? So if you continue in your calling, there's a cost, right? If you follow Jesus, there is a fee that will have to be paid. Now, I know what we're all thinking. I'm thinking it too. And I even know what I'm about to say. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Because if you follow God by not cheating in school, for example. I failed this test, by the way. <laughs> all right? If you follow God by not cheating in school, guess what? Your grades might go down. Mm -hmm. If you follow God by being honest at work, I mean honest like to a fault, you might, not all the time, I'm not trying to paint that picture, don't mishear me, but you might lose your job. If you follow God by not having sex outside of marriage, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, man, they might break up with you. They might want nothing to do with you anymore because you're not the person that I first started dating. And you're no fun anymore. Listen, if you follow Jesus in public, you start doing stuff like baptism. 
you're going to lose more than your boyfriend or girlfriend. You might lose your normal friends too. As you orient more and more of your life around Jesus, listen, there's no guarantee either that, that, that you're somehow immune from, from poor health or from illness or sickness or disease. Listen, Christians get cancer. And I don't know how it works behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, but when you follow Jesus, you got a target on your back. And maybe some things shake out in your life in a way that, man, things wouldn't have been that bad if you just would have said no to Jesus, right? But you said yes. In all these things, it doesn't mean that God is punishing you. Just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to you. When we follow Jesus, it's almost certain, almost certain that your life this side of heaven will be harder and more difficult. Then why in the world? Why would I follow Jesus? Why would I say yes to him? Why would I continue in my calling? Well, check this out. They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. The apostles, listen, they are bruised. They're swollen. They're bleeding all over the place. Welts abounding on, on all over their body. They're weak. All right, probably from blood loss, they're weak just from the endurance that you have to, to expel during something, a trauma like that. They're probably limping, right, because their muscles are just like spads. They can't even walk right. Yet they're grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> Man, what? People, people are looking at them like, what are you, what is going on? Did they, did they start hitting you on the head? We didn't see it. Like, what is going on with you? They're rejoicing. Because they were counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. And they got to suffer for Christ. And they get to walk where he walked. I remember going to Israel a couple years ago. Man, I, I just got so amped about walking on the same streets that Jesus walked. All right? I, I, I mean, I got to see probably where he was crucified. I got to see probably where he was buried. Probably where he rose from the grave. I got to be in those places. And it just, man, I was just so jazzed. I'm like, man, Jesus was here and I'm here too. This is amazing. So the things that I was feeling at that point, listen, they're feeling the same things. But in a much greater way. Because they got to experience, not only be where Jesus was, but they got to experience the things that Jesus experienced. They got to suffer just like him. Plus, he was right there with them. There's a closeness. There's a fellowship when we suffer for Christ. And it doesn't make sense to our minds. I mean, you and I are exactly the same. I don't want anything to do with the things that we're reading right now. But if you talk to people who have been locked up because they're Christians, if you talk to people who have experienced trauma and beatings and persecution for the name of Christ, they will tell you 10 out of 10 times, they'll tell you there was never a sweeter time in my life. Never. Because there's a closeness with Christ that you can only have in suffering. They get to suffer with him. And by the way, God was reaching others through what was happening. Us today too. We're reading about what happened and God is, is working on our hearts because of it. They knew, no question, they knew it was worth it. 
because they knew what God said and they believed it. They believed it. They knew that God is unstoppable. They knew that Jesus was building his unstoppable church. And they knew that he was coming back one day to rule and reign on the earth forever. And they knew that if we endure and if we follow him, we will also reign with him. They knew because God rewards those who earnestly seek him. They knew that those who share in Christ's suffering will also share in his glory. And they knew that the present sufferings that they were enduring were not worth comparing with the glory that will one day soon be revealed to them. They knew these things. I got some good news for you. If there's sacrifices you're making in your life, if you're coming to forks in the road, and the entire world, it seems, is going this way, and the road is just wide, right? Everybody's going this way. It's, it's the easy way to go. It's the road traveled very often, right? But, but, but you are going this way. You're going down the narrow path, right? Nobody's going this way. Only there's a few people. And you're like, man, I, I just the Spirit is leading me this way. I just, and, you, and you go that way. Listen, if you are making sacrifices in your life, because of Jesus and for Jesus and with Jesus. I want to bring just some refreshment to your very soul straight from God's word. It is worth it. The day is coming when each of us will stand before God. And on that day, we will begin to see for the very first time, all right, a holy satisfying, a holy terrifying sliver of the Savior's splendor and awesomeness. We never had it before. We'll, we'll see it that day and something is going to dawn on us. And it will be this. I just want to give my king everything I can. I just want to give it to him. I just want to give it to him. And the only thing that we'll be able to give to, to our king is what he has given to us. I can't, I can't bring my money from, from, from my, my career. I can't do that. I can't bring my, my friendships, right? I can't bring my prestige, my pop. I can't bring any of that. I can't bring my influence. I can't, nothing. I can't bring it. The only thing I can give my king is what he's given to me. Those are called rewards. And how do we get them? We, we, we're given rewards by our king on that day. Based on how we lived our life for him on this earth. Did I live my life for myself? Or did I live my life for the pleasures of this world? Like basically everyone else does. Is that, is that how I conducted my life? Or did I choose to live my life in light of eternity? In a way that was worthy of the calling I had received. Was I willing to say yes to God? Even when it was really hard. In what areas of your life is Christianity hard? I want you to really think about that. You might even write this down. You might text yourself. You might tell a friend, right? But seriously, find an answer to that question is probably not that hard. In what areas of your life is Christianity really hard? And in those areas, how is God leading you? The opportunity to worship him. 
is coming to an end this side of heaven. The clock is ticking. I hope you're hearing the urgency in God's message to us today. The opportunity to worship God through giving. Giving money to, to like actual dollar bills or actual check or actual electronic giving. The things that God has blessed you with. The, the opportunity, the time to give money to his church, to his missionaries, those who are going to places, telling people about Jesus that have never heard it before. The opportunity to support them, to help people that God has around you in your life, to help them in their time of need. That opportunity is coming to a close. The opportunity to bless your neighbor in the name of Jesus Christ will one day pass and is coming quickly. The opportunity to talk to your children, even if they're all grown up, to have conversations with your children about Jesus Christ. That opportunity is not going to last much longer. What do you do when Christianity is hard? Here is the answer we've been building to. We've said it, but we're going to state it just so clearly that by God's grace we can't do anything but hear it. We continue in our calling to be witnesses, no matter what the situation is. His spirit leads us to say yes to God, no matter what it is. We continue in our calling and we rejoice knowing that it's worth it. The suffering isn't sweet, but the Savior is, right? Following Jesus is worth it every time. Let's pray. God, you've been so good to us. Thank you for seeing, uh, helping us to see, Lord, what the early church was like. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to apply those things that we're reading, that history. God, we can apply it to our lives, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for showing us what to do, Lord, when Christianity gets hard. Thank you for your promise that it is worth it, that good things are to come to those who say yes to you. Help us to live our lives for you in light of eternity, not in light of, of what's right in front of us, not, in, not, not according to our comfort, but God, in light of eternity. Help us, God, as your children, those who have come to you in faith in the crucified and risen Savior, help us to continue in our calling to follow you no matter what, even when it hurts. And, and God, to rejoice, to have actual joy as we walk with you, as we suffer with you, Lord, even if that situation comes and that's what it calls for, Lord. Help us to rejoice for heaven is nearer now than it ever has been before. Perhaps God is calling you to receive him. If you believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins, if you believe that three days later he rose from the grave for your life and you know you're going to stand before him one day and you want to be ready and trust him to save you today. If that's you, if you're like, yeah, I want to receive Jesus today. I want to. Would you raise your hand right now? I want to follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord God the good work you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. For those of us online in our online community, man, would you type saved or I believe, just something like that in the chat so, that, so we can celebrate together. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you that you are still, even today, you are building your church 
You alone are good, Lord, and you have been so, so good to us. Be glorified in our, in our lives, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope you were encouraged today. Subscribe to the Fox River Podcast to ensure you don't miss future messages. Stay connected through our social media channels on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, make a difference in the lives of those you know by sharing with them. We are grateful for you and hope you join us again soon.